I 100% have cried at work. I almost cried today at work. <laughs> I'm not even joking. This is Sarah Menendez. She works on the digital team at Marketplace. So where are like the top places that you'll cry? Like what's the ranking? I would say that my desk is the most frequent. And then after that, the bathroom. Honestly, 90% of the time, it's just at my desk very quietly. But we work in an open space. And when things get really bad, there's one spot in Marketplace a lot of us go, including myself. So then that's when you have to go, you have to go, is there anyone in here? No. Studio H. It's quiet. It's cold. There's a pillow. You can, can, like, tuck yourself into a corner where, like, nobody can see you. I've actually sat down, like, right here with this pillow. Yep. Me too. just cried. Me too. Can you show me some other places really quickly where you've cried? Sure. There's this bathroom, right? Yeah. But it's it's small. I know. There isn't that much privacy here. in here, you can hear someone Mm -hmm, sniffle mm -hmm. real easy. There's Mm -hmm. probably someone in here. But if... (laughs) But if you're in a stall... I would, I'd I would cry in that for stall. The big stall. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, then people put can't see your feet. in the corner, as far in the corner as I yeah. possibly fucking can. Would you sit on the toilet? I'd probably, no, I stand. I'm really dramatic. I like stand and I like, I like cover my eyes and I like put my face against the wall. <laughs> Ask anyone at work and they probably have a favorite hiding spot for when they need to be alone. A lot of people have cried at work, even this office celebrity. I'm a crier every now and then. That's Kai Rizdahl, you know, from the radio. I have never cried at work about work. Oh, okay. So maybe about other things. I, I think uh, possibly. I mean, I've been here a long time. A lot of things happen. You know, yeah. yeah. Life. Life. You know, yeah. Things can be said. I'm, gonna, I'm a crier. You're a human? I'm a <laughs> I'm a- um, would you cry at your desk or? Uh, no, quietly in the bathroom. Oh, that seems to be a common place. Well, you want some privacy when you're you know, burying your soul, as it were. I'm Rima Hres, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. On this podcast, we're delving into all the things connected to money, including our relationship to work. A lot of us spend most of our days at work or thinking about it. So what happens when the thing society tells us to place above everything else is also the thing that's breaking us down? This week, an episode about crying on the job and all the baggage that comes with it. When Chiquita Pascal thinks back to the times she's cried, there's one job that immediately comes to mind. She was in her mid-20s and had just landed a job in a newsroom. It was a fast-paced, high-stakes environment, and she had a bunch of experience reporting, but knew this was going to be demanding. It was a lot of like, well, you're going to do this, and you're going to make these decisions, and you're going to sort of like, you know, decide what the news is going to be, and you're going to set the tone and do all these things. It's a lot, but she was up for the challenge. In the beginning, I was confident and hopeful. She says she didn't get much training. And yeah, she'd worked in newsrooms before, but every shop does things a little differently. I mean, for sure, like, <laughs> some things I messed up, you know? Like, there was, like, a lot of pressure, and and I I got to be really good at copywriting and, and sure. all these things. But they, they also, like, did things like question my news judgment um, mm. for certain stories that I felt were important. This was around the time the Black Lives Matter movement was picking up steam. And there were all these high-profile incidents of police brutality. I was monitoring all this news and just getting all of this traumatic content. And and so to be clear, what what were they questioning exactly when it came to your news judgment? 
They just felt that it was a story that wasn't really impacting the local community. I see. <laughs> because these things were happening in other places. Um, okay. And and I I had to point out that it was our duty to to, to cover how these national stories were boiling down and affecting mm-hmm. people in the community and the fact that there are people talking, especially students of color, speaking up about these issues um, and also community leaders and things like that. And, um, you know, people were like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so, they're just out for promotion. There was a lot of heavy, like, skepticism. And beyond just the actual work, Chiquita says the entire mood in the newsroom felt tense. Lots of passive-aggressive comments and general tension. And because she never wanted to be seen as too emotional or like the quote-unquote angry Black woman, she created an informal support system. Once I was working in sort of these more mainstream, mostly white spaces, is that when really difficult things would come up, mm. like like people of color kind of like always find like a dark corner somewhere and like t- talk in hushed tones. Like there, there's always like a breakout. Then a little over a month into her job, it's early evening, the office was pretty empty, and a coworker, someone who doesn't directly supervise her, walked over to her desk and asked if they can talk. Yeah, I was like, uh, okay, I mean, okay, sure, like maybe he's gonna give me some like helpful pointers, like maybe this will be some of the training. So he led her to an empty conference room, closed the door behind them, and that's when she realized that whatever he has to say is probably not going to be great to hear. Then as he's, like, talking, I just kind of feel myself deflating. (laughs) He started telling her how she's falling short on the job, that her writing was too sloppy, that her news packages weren't the right style. A lot of it was stuff she had heard from her boss already, and she was actively working on. And so I was just like, yeah, I totally hear you. Like, I incorporated those changes. I'm like, you know, what else you got? You know, and then that's when he kind of hits me with, you know, the thesis statement of the meeting, which is uh, that that he they, that that I wasn't I wasn't cut out for the job. You know, he said that he said that he said that he didn't think that I was like ready or qualified to, to do this job and that I may want to think about finding something else. That was the part. Oh, wow. That was the part that really got me. And in that moment, Chiquita thinks, wait, You're like who? Who asked you? <laughs> she didn't even work directly with him. And and then also, I think my next thought was like, is, am I so bad at my job that like people who aren't even responsible for me here are like trying to, mm. you know, am, am I this much of a problem right. that, that this is warranted? Um, Did you like start feeling like, oh, wow, all these people are talking about me and how I'm bad at my job? Yeah, that was definitely what. And I, and I think in that moment, I could feel like my eyes start to burn. She could feel it happening. Like, she's on the verge of tears. But then quickly, another feeling overwhelmed it. I remember the other physical sensations, like my jaw tightening, mm. you know, and and just getting, like, really tense in my shoulders and just kind of, like, this hardness on my face, just sort of, like, it was, like, this calcified kind of anger. This emotion would, like, pent up inside of me, and I was just like, you can't cry, you can't cry, you have to, like stuff it down and transform it into something else that, like, you can use for, like, power in the situation. She kept her responses short and wrapped up the conversation as fast as she could. When she got to her desk, she jumped back into her shift, and that's when the tears came. You know, find lots of ways to just cry while you're doing stuff, just really seamlessly. As you're just working, just letting the tears flow down your cheek. Yeah, always waterproof mascara, you know. 
That conversation is the kind you never forget. The one that replays in your head as you walk into the office or after your ideas get glossed over in a meeting. It stuck with Chiquita, and it changed her. I made up my mind that I was going to do everything in my power to, you know, get a handle on that job. She started proofreading every email twice, made sure her copywriting was tight, leaned on that informal support system. She also went as far as changing her appearance so she wouldn't stick out. She swapped out her fuchsia pencil skirts and Jackie O cardigans for jeans and black tops. Also, she stopped wearing her hair natural. I have natural coily hair, so when it dries, it dries into an afro. And, you know, that was something that people just, like, always comment on. You know, and at one point someone told me that um, it looked so wild. Oh, my God. And so it was another thing where I was like, oh, like, people are perceiving me in ways that aren't actually in in step with, like, who I am. Yeah. So Wait, that makes me so sad (laughs) that you, like, changed your hair as a curly head myself. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously it carries different implications, um, when you're a black woman, but, um, that's, that's awful that you felt like you had to do that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to go as far as like straightening my hair all the time, although I did straighten my hair a lot more, um, when, when I was in Mm. that job than I do now, because people would be like, oh, you look so professional today. You should, you should, that was another set of comments. So like that, I (laughs) think also like together today. Good job. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's like, I don't see your afro. (laughs) Yeah. Good job hiding, hiding all that cultural diversity. (laughs) It's messed up that Chiquita felt that way. Like, she had to strip down the parts of her personality that didn't fit in. Then, six months in, it's time for her first performance review. So I just remember kind of um, feeling like, you know, I had I had a rough start. But, like, you know, over the course of a couple of months, like, I had picked up a lot of skills and knowledge and, like, you mm-hmm. know, was getting better at the job. So she was feeling optimistic when her boss handed her the review. And I, and I go into it, and it's just, like, page after page of just, like, mediocre. Mm. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, do you remember any of the specific language? I do remember the words defensive coming up hmm. um, a lot. They described you as defensive. Yeah. Mm. Um, I wasn't understanding, like, why I was having such a difficult time communicating with them uh, in, in a productive way. She says she was also described as intimidating and lazy, And as a Black woman, it was hard for her to hear that and not think of the larger implications. It's just like a a description of, like, caricatures of of Black people and how uh, sometimes Black people are seen in the context of, like, white environments. Yeah. Um, And... And that was almost too terrible of a thought to bear. And so I think that's why I tried to make it about everything else. Like, I started to believe that I wasn't good at my job. And I started to believe that I was a bad writer. And I started to believe that, you know, I that my news opinions were skewed. And I just became more and more self-conscious over time. Eventually, she started to wonder whether she actually was cut out for this kind of journalism. After the performance review, once I had these people's, like, opinions of me in writing, then I definitely started to just wall up Hmm. in in a way where I felt numb. Like, it eventually just spread into all other areas of my life. But I, I just remember kind of the process of, like, consciously numbing myself before going into work just so that I wouldn't even be in a space to be emotional about whatever people were going to say to me. 
That's when she decided she needed to get out. Two months after the performance review, she walked into her boss's office and told him she's quitting. She didn't realize until then how alienated she had felt at that job. It was a lesson. It was a really hard lesson um, to learn about what I need in terms of support. Mm. I think what gets lost in all that is not like, are you allowed to cry at work or not? It's like, do you feel supported yeah. in, in the place where you have to spend like, you know, the majority of your time? And if people are demanding, you know, you to be kind of emotionally invested in the work that you're doing, it's weird that it also wouldn't be, you know, like you would also expect that they would be able to support you and in all the ways that that's going to affect you as a person. Today, Chiquita is an executive producer with a Peabody Award and a book deal. Thinking back on her career, she says she's experienced a lot of different office cultures, not all of them bad. She says when you do feel supported at your job, it makes it that much easier to show vulnerability and your anxieties. Basically, you feel allowed to be yourself. That's how she felt earlier in her career, at her first internship. Something had gone wrong and she was feeling insecure, so she ducked into the bathroom. And a few minutes later, her boss came in. So she came in and was like, I knew I'd find you here. And I was like, oh, how? No. She's like, well, this is the crying bathroom. Everyone like knows that. <laughs> okay. Everyone knows that. <laughs> and that was the first time when I was like, oh, this is a thing that people do at work. And I think as vulnerable and as terrible as it, it can feel in those moments, like sometimes that is actually how you find your people. You know, I didn't expect this woman who came in the bathroom and found me to let have any kind of way to relate to me about my experiences or my insecurities about feeling like I wasn't going to be good at my job. But, mm. you know, she was actually able to to encourage me. And I think, you know, that was a time when, in a weird way, crying was a little bit empowering because it was just sort of, I don't want to take it on as a rite of passage, but just to know that, like, it's... Um, that other people who I really had respected had also had to work through tough times at work, I think was, was comforting. Coming up after the break, I call up my old boss and ask him an awkward question. It's easy to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to Be a Better Human from TED is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives, whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure, or all sorts of other topics. Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. So if you ask around, you'll find that a lot of people have cried at work, sometimes for really serious reasons and other times just to let it out. If I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. I am great. Fuck it. I, like... I've cried with people at work. I don't think so, no. Constantly. <laughs> if I have to cry at work, I hope I can make it to the restroom in time. Generally in a big open space in a conference room when you least expect it. I was like really overwhelmed. I heard that somebody passed away, one of my patients that I had been caring for, and it just kind of like hit me like a ton of bricks. The pressures of um, the seniority culture kind of made me tear up. 
Dude, I ugly cry, that's it. Silent waterworks. Repetitive blinking. A few quick tears and then fixing my makeup and face and getting back out there. Um, there's nothing really there that would be worth crying about. I don't care enough. <laughs> so there's still the question of whether it's okay to cry at work. Like, can we do it without it being a big deal? According to one study from UC Davis, it's pretty hard. It found that at first, coworkers are sympathetic when uh, they see someone crying, but then that quickly turns into discomfort, then into annoyance, and eventually into anger. The researcher behind that study also told me that when people see women cry at work, they're often considered weak, unprofessional, sometimes even manipulative, whereas when men do it, we're way more forgiving. Hearing that made me think of the first time I cried at work in front of my boss seven years ago. Do you remember when I cried in front of you? Maybe. I mean, it is fuzzy. That's Luis Clemens. He's an editor at NPR. That moment just, like, is seared into my brain. So I think in my head, I, I probably, Ay, like... Dios, <laughs> mi amor. <I> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think about it. Not all. I, I, I think about it. Even when I think about it now, the time I cried in front of him, it makes me feel pretty shitty. It was my first real job. I was 21, and it felt like a defining moment in my career. The first time I failed in a big way. So I wondered just how much he remembered. So did I act like a putz? I mean, what did I do? <laughs> Let me tell you about it. Um, remember the story that I did about Asian Americans in Congress? Yeah, the uh, politicians. Piece. Yeah, it was yeah, a politicians. I remember piece. That. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think it may have been the first story I did. Basically, what happened was you gave me a deadline. I spent all night working to meet that deadline. Like literally, pulled an all nighter. There was like Red Bull involved. And and then I walked in that next morning, and I only had half of the story done. And I was terrified. Oh, I vaguely <laughs> remember this. Yeah? Vaguely, yes. It didn't go quite as no. you had sold me it was going to go. And I, you know, I was like, <laughs> He asked me to come to his office. I sat down, straightened my posture, channeled a badass professional— looked him straight in the eyes, and then started crying uncontrollably. I told him everything, that I'm sleep-deprived and incredibly sorry. And then what you said, maybe you'll remember this, you were like, okay, Dima. It was At this point, it was like maybe 10 or 11 a.m. And you were like, you're tired. You need some rest. You need to not, like, be here right now. Like, why don't you leave? Why don't you go, like, go to the Washington Monument, go read a book, go watch a movie. I don't care what you do. Um, why don't you just go home and get some rest? That that sounds true to form. Well, I just remember feeling like I'd let you down. <sighs> and that felt awful, you know? Please, I know that sounds listen, so dramatic, but... <laughs> I haven't thought about that moment. Huh. I mean, it's, it's not what I think about when I think, hey... How is she doing? What is she doing? <laughs> is she still crying in front of her bosses? <laughs> no! Por Dios! It's also one of those things where, you know, stuff that when you're just starting off in your career mm -hmm. um, can seem more important than it is. Thank God he doesn't remember all the details, even though I just spent the last five minutes explaining them to him. It's surprising, though, because I talked with this one researcher who studies crying at work, and she says people can remember pretty vividly when a coworker cries in front of them. 
because most of us aren't sure what to do. If if it's awkward for you, it's awkward for the other person, too. Yeah. Right? You um, felt awkward in that position? Of course. You're using whatever emotional intelligence you have to to try and figure out what is the most humane and what is the best response. Mm-hmm. At times, it's like, just go home. Why do you think you give that advice? Because you know what? If you are distraught, you're not going to be particularly good at your job that day, that moment. Hmm. You need to be able to have a moment away from work. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I, I appreciate that, right? Like, I think in that moment when you told me to go home, I was like, oh, like, thank God. Like, I just don't, you know, I just want to be by myself. <laughs> like, and, and I, but, but I will say at the same time, like, it, it did make me feel a little bad, too, right? Where I was like, man, did I do something wrong? Like, you know, look. I second guess all these decisions and Mm. and conversations I have with people. Mm. And you try and be as thoughtful and reflective as you you can in the moment. But he tells me it never gets easier. Each year, I add a digit, right? Mm -hmm. Next year, I'll be 52. The interns will still be 22. Yeah. I mean, the longer I have been a mentor the less secure I am about providing advice. So more and more, his approach is... Shut up and listen. Um, just listen. We spend a lot of time at work. We, we imbue a lot of... of uh, too much, probably. Uh, much of our self-worth yeah. revolves around how we perceive our performance at work. Right. Uh, that is very so, true. Yeah, Yeah, and look, I mean, message to audience. If you shed a few tears, so what? It's honestly, it's it's not a big deal. Yeah. It doesn't diminish you. Yeah. In the eyes of of your boss, or it shouldn't. So crying itself isn't inherently bad. Uh, It's just an expression of how we feel, like when you raise your voice or make a face. But crying at work just feels so taboo, like it doesn't fit our narrow idea of a professional worker. Maybe we're beginning to see that change. I hope so, because I can promise y'all it is not the last time I am crying in Studio H. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review it. That stuff really helps us out. This is Uncomfortable is produced by me, Rima Jerez, Haley Hirschman, and Peter Balanon-Rosen. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Charlton Thorpe is our technical director. Editing by Sarah Kramer. Sitara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. The music is by Wonderly. And special thanks to Eliza Mills, Sarah Menendez, Donna Tam, Allison Vermeulen, Annika Houston, Tony Wagner, and Kimberly Elsbach. This is Uncomfortable is funded in part by the Cy Sims Foundation, which supports advances in education, scientific research, and the arts. All right, catch you all next week. I think someone's been like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, like, allergies. (laughs) 